Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In today's episode, what relating with God is actually like, how karma comes from the failure to infer the will of God, how that karma then informs reincarnation and incarnational imperatives, and of course much more. My apologies because of a technical glitch at the very end of our recording. It was cut off as we moved to close just a minute or so, but fear not, nothing earth-shattering was lost, at least as far as either of us can remember, which is usually not very far. I remind you, as always, to please listen to this podcast from the beginning and in order. Thanks so much for listening. Well, welcome forward, listeners, and welcome to You, Stace. This is episode 38. I don't know why I started counting in the beginning. Somehow it grounds me. It's in my autistic tendencies. Uh, we're going to be doing, I don't know if this is part three or so of... Uh, I, I, I think four. it's four, isn't it? I think it's part four. But who's counting? Wrong. Yes, who's counting? Who's right? counting? Uh, <clears throat> we're going to continue in sainthood, sainthood today, talking about... Um, the experience of sainthood beyond just the framework that um, we've been laying down, including karma, reincarnation, soul species. Where should we begin? Well, um, it just just hit me just now. Um, if there, if everything is God, and nothing is not God, which is a metaphysical um, orientation that is implied in a lot of religions, but not not <laughs> the ramifications of that are definitely not uh, explicated. Mm. Um, if everything is God and nothing is not God, including negative things, uh, what happened for you this week with uh, in Hawaii uh, with volcanoes going in that yes. domain? Yes, yes. So to ground this in time and space, Mauna Loa, which has not uh, on the Big Island, has not erupted since 1984. Uh, as predicted, based on all the earthquakes, blue, blue big. This was shooting lava as much as 50 meters up in the air. And like an, a number, a small number of people I know, uh, I'm very sensitive to volcanic smog, um, which is something they don't tell you about, quote unquote, paradise here. It's, <laughs> it's mostly the sulfur issue. And for those who are sensitive to it, it gives you flu-like symptoms, which fascinatingly can vary from itchiness to headaches to sore throat to existential depression to it seems like it can cause just about anything and um i was uh -huh. saying before we went on air here i was saying that it, it seemed to be and i've been dealing with volcanic smog for years and it seems to be that when you work with it uh and you learn the lesson that it's because it brings stuff up emotionally uh, sometimes anxiety sometimes depression um, but in this case, it uh, really made made me face uh, the part of me that didn't want to be here, because mm -hmm. when the wind is it was just totally dead, and there's just this oppressive feeling. It almost feels it's like existentially claustrophobic. There's just this feeling of like I gotta get out of here, and of course uh -huh. you can't. You're on an island in the middle of the Pacific, and mm -hmm. uh, getting out there's no escaping that that vog. It's and so it's a stand-in for the inescapability of life in a way. Yeah. Uh, and when I felt my way all the way through that, it went from being uh, oppressive and seemingly like impossible to deal with to just mildly inconvenient. And the, mm. the shift was not in the wind. <laughs> it was the shift was in me. So that was what I learned this week. 
Well, yeah, and the, and the verbiage you used when we chatted about this a moment ago was uh, you related to it as a teacher. Yeah. Right. And this is this is such a sainthood related and light sainthood and soulment uh, dynamic. Uh, it's been out there uh, in the East for a long time, a little less time in the West. But um, when you accept a thing, whatever the painful thing is, and um, it allays this, the the um, the degree of pain of it, as opposed to resisting it, uh, and uh, that in, in, exacerbates the pain. This can be proven with even physical pain. Uh, and that, the that's the difference between suffering and pain, right? Pain yes, is yes, the log makes yeah. me itchy. Suffering yeah. is it makes some part of me not want to exist. Like there's no way the VOG <laughs> is doing that. That's adding That's right. to it. Right? That's right. So um, that acceptance rather than resistance is out there in the East uh, in their paradigms, of course. And, but, and also in psychology, there are some more enlightened uh, psychotherapeutic paths or emoto psychotherapeutic uh, that, um, that get, that try to, uh, what if everything and let's go stay with identity. Let's do that instead. Identity, if anything causes a big reaction to you, either positively or negatively, the question mark comes in for identity. Why is this? Why do I have such a big negative reaction or a big positive reaction? It's much more common to have to relate or um, deal with negative, big negative reactions because we don't question big positive ones. Unfortunately, so, no. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, uh, someone who just uh, shot up on uh, heroin, uh, um, uh, they would not really question uh, why I'm having such a, a good experience of this, even though right. it's toxic. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, good good point there, Joseph. So in that sense, um, uh, everything is God and nothing happens to us uh, that isn't God. And it's always a signal to us if there is something that we have a big negative reaction to, it's in us, not in the content of the thing that's irritating us. Even though there, if it's another person's obnoxiousness, let's say, um, even if it is sourced by a real truth, Vogue is a real truth, an obnoxious uh, person is a real truth. Um, mm -hmm. it, just because uh, uh, we have, we're invited to uh, be it, see it as a teacher and why are we having such a big reaction to it? Vogue exists. It's a real thing. And all real things are, are divinely rooted. Um, so in this way, it's such an unsouling kind of re reality to um, reboot our conditioning, which is to avoid negativity, seek positivity. And if the vo avoid negativity comes up, um, well, we can, we can um, uh, uh, acknowledge it, but let's not give it a big story. Uh, yeah. And Right. It makes uh, me think of uh, I heard Ajishanji once talking about something related to this, and he was saying, uh, well, you know, what's the reactivity you have related to someone deceiving you? Why, why are mm -hmm. you so upset? Deception is a part of nature. Look at camouflage. Yes. I thought that was brilliant. Like the cheetah's yeah. not like this isn't fair. You're blending in with your surroundings. It's way harder to catch you. I got to eat, you know. <laughs> Like so many beings on this planet just actively yes. deceive just like yes. all the time. Right. And, and and then when humans deceive us, we're all up in arms about it as if it, it shouldn't be, you know. Yes. What's our reactivity? And that's the way that's the open door that's always available to us uh, because every single day, every single moment we have help from div the divine to heal ourselves from 
from the inside out by just watching our reactions to things, especially mm -hmm. negative ones. So that's a really important piece uh, to um, lead with to what it means to actually inhabit a relationship with divine being. Uh, they always say, of course, it's fine, fine out there in the um, in the ethers or in the uh, um, our worldview that uh, there are no atheists in foxholes. I love uh, that expression. Yeah, that that uh, when you're scared and you're in a crisis, that's when you start to inhabit a relationship with God. You know, there's oh, maybe someone who never prays. All of a sudden, they're praying in a foxhole. Um, that this is a truth for a lot, a good share of humanity is uh, is not such a good um, uh, indicator of our overall consciousness CQ, our consciousness. Yeah, quotient. it's like a it's a trope in fiction when someone's in a really tough spot and they say like suddenly they're talking to God when they're like you know a card carrying atheist like God, I know I never ask you for anything. I don't even know if you're there, but you know, yes. suddenly there it is. Yeah, yeah. In that sense, identity um, um, sheds a tear or lets out a big sigh because. The whole point of life is to cultivate a relationship with divine being, but not based in belief. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, cultivating a relationship with God, um, even if you do don't experience it, but believe in it is better than nothing. Um, but uh, we, we're talking about a way of relating to divine being that's insanely real and part of our life every day. For me, divine being is a, a divine and lively companion that doesn't always give me good news uh, in my commi commiserative relationship with it. When it's commiserating with me in my pain, uh, it fe I can feel it feel my pain, and it does exactly what um, you just related with the Vogue. It says, what, what's, what's the issue at hand here that this has come to you? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of um, New, Ages, New Agers would say, well, we drew this to us for a lesson. Yeah, all right. But how do we process that lesson? Uh, we can process it psychologically in those kind of paradigms, but how do you process it spiritually? And I'd like to offer the audience today um, that what Joseph said about when he didn't resist it anymore and accepted it, that was just the first step. Mm -hmm. Acceptance isn't, it's necessary, but not sufficient. Mm -hmm. uh, identity says, invites us and, and shows us the way actually to um, process the um, source of what what triggered us about something that was completely neutral and the Vogue did not intend to give Joseph flu-like symptoms. Um, no, it was right? all for me. It was, yeah. the Vogue was all for me to teach me the lesson. Everyone else had to just suffer through that. <laughs> so, so the point here is that um, identity not only offers ways to experience divine being as, as um, real as a plant in front of you or um, another human being or the very air you breathe, is that um, when we do have big reactions to things and project on it that that this person or this event uh, singled me out and I've got to fight it or resist it, uh, that's all old paradigm stuff. Uh, if, and again, another good point here, Joseph, it comes to me, is that that when we fight something, we think we're not letting it get to us. Uh huh. But you can't. If you're fighting something, you've already become victim to it. You wouldn't fight it if you didn't feel victimized by it. So when you switched over from a part, maybe, I don't know how you did it, I don't want to project, uh, that was feeling victim-y about it relative to a bigger reason of being on planet Earth, um, uh, just because that you feel like a victim uh, and then resist it, 
EBE and in, in, inside of identity offers us another step to go the, what the source of it was. And Joseph found the source of it. And that's way beyond just acceptance. So that's just a little sidebar here of having divine being uh, relating to it as a living being who wants nothing more than to unfold us to our deepest and most expansive emoto-soulful health. There's another angle here that I wanted to bring up that I think fits in the conversation. Just uh, five minutes before we got on today, I was reading a newsletter from a Vedic astrologer that I'm a fan of, and it said something about like the next whatever eight weeks is good for uh, transformational pursuits and meditation and whatnot. You know, it's from that paradigm. And Mm -hmm. my reaction was like, this is a good time to work at transformational things. And I thought like, Oh yeah, that's the perspective of I'm the sole author of my life and I'm going to pursue a transformative event mm-hmm. and I don't relate to it that and that way anymore. And I, 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 I'm sure you don't either rather mm-hmm. than living inside of life and life itself is a transformative process yes. with peaks and valleys. And it's not really up to us when and how it happens. And so, so I saw this sort of, there's this dichotomy. Nice. It's like uh-huh. the, the seeker is mm-hmm. trying to have a, a closer relationship with the divine. But then when you get over that hump and you have a relationship with the divine, you're no longer choosing to have transformative experiences. Your life is a transformative experience. Yes, that's a great caveat, uh, Joseph. Mm-hmm. So those who say, oh, I want to experience God, I want to experience God, um, be careful what you wish for. Because as soon as you succeed to some degree, like Joseph just said in that, um, it will take over and say, hey, you just gave me you just gave me the key to your whole being. And I'm going to um, remind you what how big your whole being is. And that is painful as shit in a lot of cases when when we have to expand to digest huge pain uh, in our life, whatever that is. But divine being knows from from its point of view, uh, it already sees us as our our most expansive and unfolded emoto spiritually mature being. It already sees us that way. We don't experience ourselves that way yet. Uh, It's relating to to us as souls. Yes, not Far more than we do. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And and because it does, that's an incredibly huge gift that we have a, uh, an ontogeny di- divinity um, that looks out for and holds space on both active personal now space and future space uh, for our soul, our soulfulness, to replace our conditioned um, uh, personality-ness uh, as our conscious being living every day. Let me, let me say that another way that we're all conditioned to have, we all are born, of course, with genetic predispositions, blah, blah, blah. But we're also conditioned by societies and our religions to react in certain ways with our value systems. And those value systems teach us to um, not surrender, but to um, claw our way to growth, as you just said, Mm -hmm. Um, that you want to carve it out. That's will-based transformation. Uh, but when divine being, when you give divine being the key by saying, okay, please, uh, I want a deeper relationship with you. Uh, the first question, of course, I would say, as I just said, is, are you sure? 
because you can't you can't stop it after it catches you can't you can try (laughs) and we all do but it's ultimately it's you against divine being your fear-based contracted self uh, against a divine being who's already experiencing you as your most unfolded emoto spiritually mature soulfulness uh, you're gonna lose Mm. Uh, your our resistance and protection is gonna lose so we've got to kind of find a way to shepherd that uh into what you win is you don't have to effort anymore that's right what you lose is the control that you had through efforting exactly right it's a tough it's a tough call like you know it's the the uh yeah i mean you you could say you win either way or you lose either way it sort of depends on who you're talking about the soul wins yes Uh but the local personality loses a lot of control and the hardest part i think is that you don't know what you're going to lose what control you're going to lose you don't know in advance really well said and so that's that's why um when i um experience divine being every day as a lively companion uh, that has my deepest interests in mind and and enforces passively not actively enforces passively my own commitment to unfolding my own deepest emotional spiritual mature version of self my soulfulness coming forward it doesn't respect when there's something in the in the in the bible along as it just hit me joseph uh, god is no respecter of persons do you remember that uh, no yeah this is in the christian bible i think it's in the old testament so it would be part of the um uh the uh torah also uh-huh. but um what that really means is it doesn't it doesn't care whether our personality our persons is is not a, no respecter of persons um it, it all that really means decoded is it wants us to solify mm. it wants us to bring educe from inside our inner soulful deeper reality that's a reality deeper than our personality construct that doesn't make the personality construct an illusion it just makes it conditioned in certain ways that prohibit our soulfulness from being able to ooze forward into our real life at the interface of all relationality so in that sense uh for me someone just recently asked me what's it like to be um to be in the god field uh or be conscious of it uh, every day every moment and my reply was something that we've talked about a lot in this series about the holoarchal structure of divinity that i am i am experiencing simultaneously that i'm within a divine being um ocean uh, made of nothing but love uh, and that ocean of love holoarchically lives as a spark of the divine inside me at the same time i'm living inside it and that's the biggest ramifications uh, for relationality with divine being is we call we listen to its external version as what life brings us everything is divine even catastrophe what's what how is it my teacher that's relating to the outside which we're inside of but what that does if we scale it down um uh, what happens is that that um makes the spark of divinity in us awaken to the next level and then the inner awakening on the next level of our soulful based uh, uh, source in God and divine being meets the outer trigger in div- that's also divine. And the two divines from inner and outer uh, uh, interface. And that's when we get the aha. Mm-hmm. And then we get our shoulders relax a little bit. And 
and uh, uh, our, our stress hormones start to go down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that holoarchal uh, structure is experienced in the way that I just um, said, uh, and that meeting of the inner divine spark to meet the outer divine ocean within, within which we we um, we swim every moment is is the moment that transmutation happens. We 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 um, in in sainthood we would say, well, in all the hoods. Uh, Transforming is um, a good thing. It's better than status quoism, where you don't look at your insides and why you do things the way you do. But uh, transformation is um, pretty low, low intensity compared to transmutation, which is literally recasting the cells of our physical body and our emotional body into div divinity. Uh, that's actually what happens, and which is why we call saint um, sainthood willful body and soulment and and sagehood mental body and soulment and personhood um, emotional body and soulment because at each step literally our emotional body and all three and our physical body and all three also transform hand and transmute hand in hand as we ensoul or divinify our personal being divinify our personal being. This is possible to do. You don't have to wait for grace to get to it, or to um, die, can, or to die. Even more, even more to the point, uh, uh, because we we haven't had a good dharma to actually help us transmute. We've got some dharmas that help us transform, but in an identity's metaphor, transmutation is vertical and transformation is is horizontal. Uh, it's a it's a much deeper take on human consciousness uh, because uh, based in the emotive um, um, essence of what we would call our human consciousness, not our mental or physical or willful. Yeah, trans, trans, I think of transformation as constructive, whereas transmutation yeah. is deconstructive. Like the caterpillar oh, turns into goo, and it, yes. I would guess it doesn't know it's going to turn into a butterfly. It's just compelled. No. To, it has to yes. do that, and it doesn't know it's going to co continue to exist. Exactly right. We have a next-door neighbor, uh, Bree and I, who um, uh, picks, searches for caterpillars because uh -huh. uh, monarch butterflies in our area of the country are, are threatened. Mm -hmm. And what she does is, and, and she found a bunch on our bushes, so she asked if she could come and, and use them. She takes them, brings them into the, her house, into a little cage thing, and uh, she feeds the caterpillars until they liquefy mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, come out of the, the pupae stage to the butterfly and then releases the monarch butterfly. I did that uh, as a kid. Yeah. Did you, you did? Oh, yeah. how wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, when, when she, I'd never seen anyone do that or hear mm -hmm. of anyone doing that literally proactively. Mm -hmm. And I, I was so touched because it, that's a beautiful metaphor for what identity does mm -hmm. in a sense. It, it has the power to lead you to places that will transmute your caterpillar state to a lot of times what feels like goo to uh, literally to its, de its, its deconstructed death. And as it's often said poetically out there, the caterpillar has to die to become the, the, the butterfly. Same principle. And there's there's another piece of the metaphor that I really like because um, when you when you do that you know if you start with like a really small one like a one inch monarch caterpillar they get mm -hmm. really big they get up to like yeah. four times that size and 
big right. and fat. And that's the transformation, you could say. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. More and better uh -huh. and different. And then it spins the thing and, and disappears. There's a scene in the TV show Lost where um, uh, the character John is helping uh, Charlie uh, detox from heroin. And Charlie gives him his bag of heroin. And Charlie comes and asks him for it back. And uh, uh, oh no, I think when he gives it to him, he says, uh, no, no, he, he asks him for it. And John says, I'm going to let you ask me for this back two more times. And on the third time, I'm going to give it to you back, but I'm mm -hmm. not giving it back to you right now. And then mm -hmm. the second time he, Charlie asks again for his heroin back and there's a pupa, a pupa I think they're called pupa, right? Yes, cocoon. I think so. It's cocoon. hanging there and he goes, see this cocoon right now? And he's like, he says, um, right now I could take my knife and I could cut this thing open, but the butterfly um, not having struggled against its cocoon wouldn't have the strength to be able to fly. So wow. it would die. It right. needs to have the, the fight. It needs to have the, um, not willfulness, but the, it needs to be tested against that boundary so it has the strength to do it. That's part of the wow. trans transmutation process. Really beautiful. Beautifully said. I, I would not have um, couched it in that, in that kind of metaphor. What a great uh, insight. And, and of course, that, he's saying that your struggle with your addiction, like right now, this is the work, and, I'm, yes, and, and you right. need to sit in it. Yeah. So the, the bottom line of this, so we can move on uh, in terms of the basic transmutation that's required to have a personal relationship with divinity is um, uh, a way that we must, that we evolve our soulfulness to replace the pupa of our personality conditioned self. And in that way, <clears throat> when we do that, everything that is irrit irritating us becomes a teacher. So instead of us fighting back against something, like if some people are really irritated by certain speech, um, uh, ums and uhs and errs, uh, some people are, are, are bothered by um, other aspects of people's little ticks and twixes, twixes and things. Um, always look at it, identity always looks at it as a teacher. What is it, uh, even though it might be true that the other person is ticking or twixting or, mm. or umming or erring, why does it bother you so much? Why is the shoe fit? Yeah. If the shoe fits you, that means it's your shoe and your foot, not the other person. And you can actually be grateful to that other person for having an imperfection mm. that uh, allows you to process it between you and you. That's real transmutation. And EBE has a whole, our, all, all three hoods have dharmas that actually have um, versions of this inside their dharma. Another related point I've been thinking about recently is always the, the Venn diagram between what we want versus what we need. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, of course, we as people, back to the Bible quote, God is no respecter of persons. We as mm -hmm. people, we want what we want. And we mm -hmm. think we want what we need. But mm -hmm. the divine knows better what we need than we do. So yes. we get what we need. Like, you know, I, when I moved to Maui, I had no idea there would be this thing called volcanic smog. They don't advertise that. <laughs> yes. But it was exactly what I needed because it pushes up that existential uh, unwillingness to be here so that I can see it. And, and I, maybe there'd be no way to work it otherwise, or who knows. Yeah, beautifully said. And one last point about that. This actually goes to the heart of difficulty in relationality. Uh, I can say that um, uh, my protection 
version of self, protected version of self, uh, has experienced so much less than what it wanted and needed in my my relationship with Brie, um, and uh, and my 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 deeper soulful has gotten much more than it ever expected. Totally, uh, yeah. And, and in that way, you have to be willing to uh, um, be deconstructed in your want versus needs uh, uh, relationships with life to really seeing that what you think you need is really just something based in wounded woundedness. And divine being is your companion. It wants to help you do this. I, I can say confidently without hubris that... Uh, that uh, identity as a paradigm works in concert with that truth of divine beings wish to ensoul us and finally gives a ground up inside the outway to meet it in its desire to help us do that. Mm-hmm. We've not had good, good um, emoto spiritual guidance on actually have a process that matches or resonates with the way divine being relates to us when we <laughs> invite it into our, our world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, this is why when people reach their goals and make all the money they've always wanted, there's often a huge amount of dissatisfaction because they've gotten what they wanted, but not Mm -hmm. what they needed because they actually don't know what they need. And none of us can really know what we need without the help of the divine. Exactly right. Exactly right. So in that sense, um, let's go right into karma, because um, if we insist uh, with our stiff necks, you know, and there's another thing, it's in a biblical reference here. I don't know why I'm quoting the Christian Bible today. Uh, it's a very popular I, book. <laughs> oh my, the most popular book in history. <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, it's often, there's a phrase in there somewhere that says, um, uh, and, and divine being wants to confront our stiffed, stiff neck, stiff neck. Uh, is the phrase that's that's used, and it, and I find that really uh, interesting because our will, our, our center of will, is in fifth chakra, in the throat, and our stiff neckedness is our will being used, and just like you just said, Joseph, um, being used to to um, try to attain what we think we want and need. And never question why we want it or need it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so, in, in that sense, um, our stiff neck is simply our own willfulness used in service to generate satisfaction without asking whether or not the satisfaction is emotively or soulfully mature. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, in that, and in that way, uh, our will is why we call in sainthood, why we say it's will, body, and soulment, because we learn to adjudicate our personal will with the will of divine being, which is, and people say, well, how the hell do I know what the will of divine being is? It's simple. It wants to transmute us into a soulfully mature version of ourselves, as opposed to a wound-based conditioned version of ourselves. That's it. It's not, it's, it, it doesn't require a whole lot of uh, sophistication. It's just that do we hit, we now have a process and um, a paradigm that can works in concert with that. So when we resist and our resistance wins uh, in the way we proceed through life and what we accumulate to ourselves, that's what builds karma. Karma, in that sense, is nothing but the uh, um, a, 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 a large account in our soul, a personal soul, Akashika, you could say, of um, how we 
worked like hell to manifest what we, what we want and need and did not check in with divine being if that represents our deepest, most authentic self. Yeah, I want to bring in something you said last time that I really chewed on a lot. Um, you said it pretty quickly uh, that God doesn't require obedience. It requires inference. Yes. And so are, it, would it be correct then to say where we fail to infer the will of God, we create yes. karma? Yes. Mm. Uh, and and this, this bears a little bit of um, unpacking. Uh, that's a really simple thing to say, but there's a, <laughs> there's a hu hugely complex dynamic going on in that. Mm -hmm. What it's really saying is you have free will. It, that is in the system, as Krishnamurti tried to tell us, even even a sage person, you're, you're free in every single moment to choose what you choose and choose what you choose in reaction to what others try to choose for you. It's all, we're all ultimately free in every moment you can't seek freedom if you're seeking freedom you've already lost your compass you're already free every moment free to risk um being shot if you uh, resist going walking to the gas chamber or walk to the gas chamber passively you can choose which way you die uh, we all would like to think um, that we would um, uh, uh, choose the being shot rather than going through to the gas chamber but it is also true that a lot of the people who did walk to the gas chamber didn't know it at the time earlier in the war uh, that it was gas chambers. So in that sense, we're free every moment. What do we do with our will? What do we do? Identity replies in sainthood, learn to inhabit a relationship with the divine, with divine beings such that you have that aspect of your journey um, uh, in your pocket, that it's it's working. The other thing you have to do most of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, is have a facilitator, uh, some sort of facilitator to help us um, move through and process and have it land in the, in the facilitator, how painful it is to transmute from our will-based, wound-based will to our more soulful, healthy-based will. So those that combination will 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 guarantee most of the time some real change for people that is difficult to digest to say the least. That's part of the point here is that easy karma thing we just said is so it's so difficult to process and and um, and digest that deconstruction as you said uh, uh, it's deconstructive soulful uh, uh, growth. It, it's it's a shedding of things, not an adding of new things. It's not a new skill set uh, mm -hmm. that we uh, that we cultivate in order to succeed more in the world. It's a surrender to a deconstruction of what we what our will wants and needs, and having those wants and needs redefined for us. In that in that way, go ahead. Did you, so did you yeah, so then karma. I think we talked about this. I'm sure we talked about it somewhere in the last 30 something episodes. Karma is traditionally understood as some kind of like punishment or, you know, reciprocity from the divine or life or something for making a misstep. But what we're saying is that the uh, inability or unwillingness, the stiff neck thing to infer the will of God causes us to invite a new situation that allows us to make a better choice. Yes. Absolutely right. A beautiful way to say that. 
and that's why I, I, it's so easy to see I, I, when I'm talking about this kind of thing. Like, surely you uh, say to a group of people, do you know someone who's married three different versions of the same person? Because <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> usually when that happens, it's their mother or father or whatever. And so we keep drawing to us unconsciously whatever it is that we need, not necessarily want, because, of course, many of us have broken up with so-and-so in, in order mm -hmm. to search for such-and-such, -such, but we end up with another so-and-so because we didn't learn the lesson. And yes. that's why it's so important to take relationships all the way to the very end so that you milk the, the quote failed relationship for everything that it's worth. Otherwise you're destined to attract another version of it. Or what is it? And what do we say? What do we have already in the, in the banal mass consciousness um, system? Uh, you, you, uh, what, what you resist persists. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And this that's is, a real the metaphysics of that, right? Exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and in that way, another way to come at karma is to is karma operates on not just the fact of dead ends, but our recognition of dead ends. In other words, just as you said, how many times have they married the same person three times? They did not, they weren't cued in or clued in to the dead end, um, and they just put their will up to another gear and uh, went forward under the same circumstances. You want a different kind of mate. You have to be a different kind of person to draw that mate. It's very simple. Um, it's, it's written. This is not complicated. Uh, the metaphysics are complicated, but the actuality of it, karma is based on encountering dead ends and doing and recognizing why it was a dead end and then healing what caused you to smush your face against a piece of plexiglass or marble. Um, <laughs> how many times do you have to smash your face against a piece of marble to get the lesson? Mm -hmm. So karma is just resisting the recognition, the no, re resisting the, the, um, re the reality of dead ends is another simple way to put uh -huh. it. You see the, the dead ends, we're not trained very well in our in our different cultures, religious or humanistic. What a dead what a dead end really means. But karma absolutely requires dead ends. If we bust through that plexiglass instead of of, of going or or someone punches us in the face and you say you hurt me, you you punched me, I hate you. Instead of why didn't I see that coming? Mm -hmm. uh, that's the turn the other cheek thing that Yeshua meant. doesn't mean to turn your cheek to get hit again. It means, why didn't I see it coming? That's turning the other cheek. An introspective uh, response to getting punched or divorced uh, or left or a partner being unfaithful to you. All these things. Why did you draw a partner who was unfaithful to you? How am I unfithful to myself? That I that I drew someone to give me that lesson, just and like, it, and it doesn't make it okay that the other person did the unjust no, thing. No, that's no, part no, of no. their karma, right? And when right. we cross, we go on the other side of the street and make them wrong. It's sort of like we're judging their process in a way, but we're all beautifully intertwined in, in each other's lessons in this way. And exactly. There's another thought related to that that I had about in the same way uh, with other people, in the same way. Uh, I don't know how to describe this. The Vogue makes my mind duller, which usually people seem to like. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me slow down, that, which is another lesson that I learned. Yeah. Yeah, it, makes good one, up, it forces uh, me to disidentify from my mind. But yes. I was thinking about the way with 
within uh, in intimate relationality, especially, there's an analog to our relationship with the divine in that we um, not only learn from the other person, but the relatedness is a teacher. There's needs in the relatedness that we have to surrender to. And that seems yes. like a, a fractal version of, the, um, of, of God because that relatedness is love. It's that which, has, which connects us, and that's a form of the divine. Oh, well said. Well said, exactly. So to take that one step further here then, to summarize for karma, karma is self-inflicted. Okay, mm. it's not victim oriented. It's so we're not a victim of our negative or ignoring reactions. Um, we, it's actually our friend, as you said, in another way. Uh, it, 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 it's not based in punishment. It's actually, we said this before in an earlier podcast, and for, for identity, karma is designed to have an end game of self-forgiveness, mm. not punishment. Uh, the the, uh, the East only got it half right. There's a further depth uh, dynamic to it. In other words, um, so let's say we um, not so accidentally kill somebody. And uh, after we, we thought it felt real, thought like the right thing to do in the moment. Uh, but then as you digested it and you realize, which a lot of people do, how, how what, what a, a, a horrific penalty it is to carry guilt mm. about killing someone if you're halfway sensitive. And then that guilt, uh, you would say, um, uh, creates a, uh, could create a loop where if you don't learn how to forgive yourself from that murder, uh, this is out there in some psycho psychology paradigms, that Anything that you do out of guilt is guaranteed to keep the cycle going, to keep the behavior going. If you are, feel guilty about something, then you have a p penalty to it. You think you've paid off the debt. Oh, now I can do the guilt thing again. I can do it again. And mm -hmm. that's a loop that a lot of people get into. So in that sense, uh, karma is uh, about self-forgiveness. And, and identity offers ways, uh, counterintuitive ways of what it means to self-forgive. Uh, we could make an easy statement about it, but the actual emotive digesting our way to self-forgiveness is no easy task. And that's very difficult to describe because I imagine some people would hear, oh, self-forgiveness, like, okay, I forgive myself. I understand why I did that. It's it's not a mental thing no. at all. It's um, right. Can you put words around that? That's a hard thing to talk about. What actual emotively processed self-forgiveness looks like? Yeah, it's it's about the end game. Let me let me say what the end game of emotive based self forgiveness is. You realize you could not have done otherwise. Mm. That's the algorithm, and that's easy to say. Oh, I I couldn't have done otherwise. I was conditioned for that. You know, that's what's out there. And oh well, uh, my bad childhood made me a criminal. Um, well, yeah, it contributed. Uh, but in the end, to self forgive is to really feel that you live, not just know in your head, really feel that it could not have been otherwise because the you that was operating that did that murder, let's say, uh, could not have done anything else in that moment. In other words, we like to uh, Monday morning quarterback our behaviors. You know, We look back and, oh, I should have da-da-da instead of da-da-da. Well, that can be helpful in certain situations, but when it goes existential, um, uh, it's very hard to self-forgive 
when you don't acknowledge, don't actually have the emotive reality that you could not have been different. Well, in order to do that, you have to differentiate from the part that motivated the action, which is yes. a whole lot of work, and yes. sort of circumscribe the um, the wound-based conditioning that caused that action to happen. So it's sort of like you have yes. to distill it down and whittle away everything except for what the um, inevitable cause of the thing you did was and feel it all and feel the wound-based origin of that. So it's like you experience in an intense way the very governing dynamic of the dead-endedness. Oh, what, all the way. Wonderfully, yeah, wonderfully said, Joseph. Exactly right, yes. So in that sense, um, the, the, the final algorithm to reiterate, as we said in other podcasts, is karma, the, the rule of karma is, um, the, the principle it's based on is, as we unconsciously sow, so shall we consciously reap. Now, if, if, if listeners take that in for a moment, such a thing is a huge challenge because that requires you to become conscious of your unconsciousness. I mean, you're, fundamentally, it means you're responsible for it to begin with, which we one, one in of the third podcast. Yeah, yeah, it was one of the three main things that uh, principles identity is based on is that we are responsible for the contents of our unconscious. So, if we're unconsciously picking mates that um, trigger our trigger have qualities um, of betrayal, just like our parents did, our mother or our father, like you said, or Uncle Joe, if he was the one that abused us, or whatever it is, um, the deal is that. When, when we uh, um, really get deeply that if we're not, if we don't live as if we're responsible for our unconscious, which means going inward and doing an introspective deep dive to try to get to the unconscious, identity has that deep dive mechanism to help us get into the even the existential levels of emotion, not of emotivity, not just the content of certain emotional states which are distal or more um, uh, shallow versions of the core emotions. So in that sense, as we unconsciously sow, we are going, if we're unconscious that we're marrying mommy or daddy, um, we are going to continue to generate karma. So there's lots of different layers and dimensions to describe karma in identity's picture, but this is the basic one. And that's uh, not because God is punishing you, it's because no. it loves you. Yeah, it's quite exactly. a turning karma on its head. Exactly. And, and, you know, it just occurs to me when you say that, you know, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? This is a big question in religious <laughs> stuff. What you just said is the correlate to it and more mm -hmm. of an enlightened or ensouled version is that it, 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 it leads us to a, a pit of suffering, but with the end game of transmutation and wholeness, not a uh, an eternity of punishedness. Yeah. Right. And that's the difference. You're right to criticize that nonsense in religion that uh, mm -hmm. that says that. But there is a semi-truth buried deep in it mm. that um, it is it causes suffering to deconstruct our unconsciously driven motives for what we want and what we use our will for. So we get our will um, let, uh, healed more or less in personhood at the content level. But the will still has existential, unconscious uh, ways of, of determining our lives that's, that's addressed in the existential way with divine being and sainthood. 
where we negotiate our will with divine being, like getting seduced with a, a record recording contract that I was offered, as I mm -hmm. said before, and getting the real sense that um, uh, uh, that's just not on my on my soul track. Or when I when I was in my early thirties before the event, I, I thought of really seriously. Um, I found a couple of universities to get a um, a, a PhD in in um, philosophy, and when I um, oh, sort boy. of when I that's that's like putting an acetate. Think of a printed page that says, "I want a PhD in philosophy," um, and then you you that's a piece of acetate, clear paper or clear plastic, and you put it on the uh, the, the the edifice of divine being. Uh, instead of the the letters on the on on my um, uh, on my desire, which is I want a PhD in philosophy, uh, divine being uh, responded, uh, turned the acetate over, and there was a different message on it, and it said, "Put away the toys." <laughs> that is an honest. That actually uh, was a real an experience I had of divine being. It said, "Put away the toys," and it didn't say it meanly. It just, but it didn't say it love. It didn't say, "Put away the toys, sweet boy." It said, put away the times. Yeah. Um, and it was so loving and, and it was so uh, curt and 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 simple. Uh, it, it changed me so much in, in, with a new parameter of how to discern or, um, uh, or unpack any desire of mine. Mm. Is it a toy for me? Am I trying to deflect or hide my bigness somewhere? And of course, mm. Having become a medical professional, a singer-songwriter, um, or a philosopher would all have been shrink to fit uh, ways my protection wanted to find some way to be secure in the world uh, and be known in the world for what I am. And Divine Being said no three times to uh, three attempts of mine to hide mm. until it said, and I said, what is it I'm supposed to do? And, and it said, yeah. just keep saying no until you find a yes. Mm -hmm. that's another good way to ascertain how little or to get more informed on your unconscious is um uh just just instead of um of of listen for the no say no 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 if it doesn't feel right until you feel a yes now that's not always applicable best for us but most of the time it is it's a good rule of thumb mm -hmm. so in that sense the karma is much more uh, uh, a really deeply um, challenging notion if it's based on the principle as we unconsciously sow, so shall we consciously reap with an end game not of punishment, but of insolment. So this is a whole other take on what we've been taught and requires a kind of a shedding of the old conditioning we have about it. Mm. You know, it makes me think of when you're talking about your own path and um, it makes me think like you don't have to be able to hear the voice of the divine in order to be um, following its uh, guidelines. Yes. It, it makes me think of um, in uh, my own history, uh, I wanted to go to Brown and I didn't get in, which was a real blow to my ego because I was a really mm -hmm. good student, but I was Massachusetts. It was a little close. And so they, mm -hmm. you know, long story, but I didn't get in and I ended up going to Northwestern in Chicago near where you went to school. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely hated it. Uh, I'd never visited. I don't know what I was thinking. It's one of the <laughs> coldest places in the United States. Uh, yes. But um, uh, I chose the dorm that I wanted to live in based on a, a friend who was a little older than I was, 
who um, had gone there. And then I ended up being right across the hall from someone who uh, he was a sophomore when I was a freshman and he studied jujitsu there. And I yeah. always wanted to do martial arts, but mm -hmm. I never had the guts to start it. And he took me under his wing and, you know, it became like, it was just like a duck in water. And jujitsu mm -hmm. led me to Aikido and Aikido led me to transcendental metaphysics. And that led me to spirituality. And ultimately, long story short, that led me to you. Yeah. So it was a lot of things that did not seem to be going my way. And a lot of things I really didn't like that seemed to be exactly on a path that would lead me to where I needed to go. Oh, a beautiful example. And look what look look how counterintuitive that is. And yet, let's say it another way, because you don't need to have engendered access to the voice of God to become more enlightened in your choices. It's intuition. Mm. It feels right. Intuition is is not part of our mind. Intuition is a quality of the soul that seeps forward in spite of the mind. Uh, the, the difference between our head and our hearts uh, is the usual for formulation of it. But people have are not conditioned very well to trust their uh, our sen our sensibility uh, in in mm -hmm. hearing the no or feeling the no. And that's what exactly what I meant there. And you just took it to a, a much clearer place where you intuit it, you can intuit the no or the yes. And you just follow the no's until you, you sense a yes with the same algorithm of intuition. Now, intuition can be cultivated a little bit, but um, uh, we all have it in our soulful uh, being. And we just have to sometimes coax it maybe to another level to be able to trust our guts. But in point of fact, our guts are not always such a good um, uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, purveyor or provider of truth because our guts is where also our, all of our emotive um, woundings and protections live in that sense, a sen uh, um, emotive sensibility of the gut. It's emotive, not mental. So head versus gut or head versus heart. So that's a really good point. The only other option, um, and, and of course, identity would say, why don't you do, try both? Um, cultivate your intuition, trust, start trusting your intuition. You'll learn, that, that's a, tr a, a trial and error too. You have a gut feeling for a, a no here, and then you realize that um, later in your life, it was probably a yes that you should, should have listened to, or it can be right on and you don't know. You've got to trial and error your intuitive. You've got to test it um, that way. So in the end, um, all the dead ends and, uh, and the pain of, of karma are self-inflicted. It's not uh, anyone else. It's our will choosing things that, that keep us smaller rather than bigger and deeper, shallower and smaller rather than deeper and bigger. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, reincarnation, um, we go into that next category. Right. It, uh, karma directly informs the um, algorithm of reincarnation. Uh, it is almost never occurs, but it does occasionally, um, but not very often. Uh, the karmic load that we we load up after a hundred or two hundred lifetimes is quite sizable, <laughs> and you can I can say from experience that. Um, Let's say if you have 200 lives and you haven't attended to your karma because there wasn't how many how many psychologists or true philosophers or true um, spiritual guidance did we have in the last three four thousand oh, years? Oh, I hadn't thought of that before. 
it was actually impossible to address karma very well early on in human existence. Wow. Yeah, there's no there's no way to process it other than intuition. Or if you had to be third, if you happen to be third eye um, endowed, you could maybe get some edge on it that way. But really, it's only 150 years now that we can actually have begun to have a process to um, uh, process karma. Uh, and identity just takes it to the next whole level beyond that. But um, at the first 150 or the first 200 lifetimes, you spend the next 250 lifetimes after that working karma, because that that's the only, um, that's why we start after, let's say, 200 lives. You know, uh, you're in between lifetimes and you're giving, you're in that nice little wonderful golden white room and uh, your guides are showing you choices that were made on unconscious wounds and disentities uh, that, that were narcissistic, let's say. And you and you, you, they show you 20 lifetimes out of the last 200 where that was a real that was a real pattern. They show you these patterns on certain issues of your karma, how did it configure? And then what happens is they say, so okay, next lifetime. You want to take a bite out of that uh, the, those 20 lives that um, narcissized instead of uh, humanized uh, was only caring about you from your own wounds? Would you like to start tackling that? Because you can't heal 20 lifetimes in one lifetime, but you can um, you can work it over two or three or four if you happen to reincarnate and choose uh, uh, cleanly. So what they do is that that karma, karma drives incarnation and in, and that that the way it works is that's what comprises our incarnational imperatives. We choose an aggregate pattern that we may have had, you know, in 10 or 15 lifetimes, not all in a row, just as a general pattern over our, our over our whole arc that represents some some dead end for us. So we choose parents uh, that will recapitulate the wound that caused all of those, um, that aggregate pattern, as a way to reseed it in the new life. And that, that right there, that we homeopathically choose parents who will actually impart the wound that the aggregate bad karma came out of. So it's not allopathic, it's homeopathic. And that we choose that, uh, our mothers that who are so much alike, Joseph, we chose them to finally find a way in one way to adjudicate the, the, um, the, the um, healing between our yin and yang aspects, mm. uh, uh, both in our protection and in our, in our soulfulness on earth. So um, we choose the parents, which is why to be victim you're, the only real victims in identity, of course, are children because they can't choose out. They can't choose out of, of, of a childhood. Some run away at 12, but that was more back in the early civilization days when they could survive that way. They can't anymore yeah. in our current uh, world. So uh, in that sense, um, you choose what aggregate wound caused a bunch of karma to accumulate you choose that, choose parenting in a society that will recapitulate that wound right from the get-go. And then you go about making different choices based on the fact that it's a modern day and you can get help now where you couldn't get help before in earlier times. So as that plays through, 
your your incarnative um, the character of any one incarnation is self chosen. Everyone chooses, with a with a caveat. When you're when you're first starting to come to Earth in your first hundred lifetimes, about oh, some percentage of that is chosen for you to get you started because you don't have much experience yet, and that means um, giving you. Uh, a lifetime, um, sometimes uh, in abject poverty, sometimes in wealth, undeserved or, or inherited wealth, um, all, all through to get you some basic guidelines in our incarnative uh, startup. But uh, those of us that are uh, over 400 lifetimes in the last 130,000 years, really all we've been doing <laughs> is trying to heal karma from, uh, from previous lives. And when you there is a there is a marker, Joseph, when you know you're getting toward the end of cleaning up your past karma, is if, and I know you know about this, uh, is when you start realizing in any one lifetime that my God, I'm I'm processing first incarnation issues. Mm. You have you have healed it backward. You heal it backward. Uh. From most recent to most most uh, proximal to least proximal, all the way back to the beginning, and I know um, you know what I mean by processing um, uh, uh, issues that have been with you since your first incarnation here. The most existential, right? The most existential, mm-hmm. yes. So um, that's how this all works, and and so you are at the helm and the decider of what kind of life you're going to have, almost always, and then from there. Uh, you get to reap what you were unconscious of before and make it conscious in the current life. And then you're off to the races of ensoulment and healing your karma. So, and here's where what we first talked about kicks in. Divine being, when it says no or put away the toys, um, it's what it's saying is, hey, you asked me directly to enforce the healing of your karmic load this life in this domain security and identity so um when we get when we when we suffer so much about what's denied us or doesn't happen that we think should have happened in our life it's time to start realizing that divine being doesn't want us to suffer as you said earlier it wants us to unfold and heal and sometimes that means saying no but, as but it always says the, yes first. Yes, you can well, do that. Well, it says always says yes to every prayer, every prayer. But if you if you deconstruct no, no is an affirmation of an alternative yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. So even a no is a yes. It's an affirmation of an alternative yes, as opposed to the the first one you said no to. Mm-hmm. So exactly right. Divine being answers all prayers with a yes and then says, or you can do that, or you could uh, take the, the the more difficult road and trust that your karmic outplay, if you choose to go through door number three, which has all unknowns all in it, no known things. Oh, you, oh you're not going to be a dentist or a doctor. Or, uh, okay. Oh, you're not going to be a singer songwriter who's famous and gets girls. Or, oh, you're not going to be a, a, a new neo-humanistic uh, um, philosopher. Oh, um, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, that's for you to, decide, to, to discover. And I discovered it only with those no's until a yes finally arose. If I had taken any one of those and made those no's out of yeses, I would not be here today where I am, right? 
So divine being wants our largesse of soul to replace our contracted emotionally and contracted conditioning-wise, our version of soul we call our personality, all through reincarnation, as many times as you need. It's patient as hell because there's no time where it lives, right? Mm. It's all now and now and now, and even everything that is a, it has happened and a good share of what hasn't happened yet, but not all because it's not omniscient, mm. um, is, uh, is in divine beings purview. Uh, believe me, it can see many lifetimes ahead for us, but not with. But the farther out it goes in the future, with less and less certainty, because we've got, from its point of view, we've got a pattern going. And oh, under under this circumstances, un, un, under stress, do you collapse, or under under stress, do you focus? For example, my soul under duress focuses; it doesn't collapse, and and that that pattern is really well in the. Um, MRI of my <laughs> uh, my karmic uh, history in the Akashika. So it knows the degree that I can take stress and focus as opposed to uh, fold, uh, focus or fold under stress, right? So it, divine being knows those patterns. So it knows how you're going to choose under this circumstance or that circumstance, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it all, as you also know, one last point about reincarnation, and we'll go to soul species, is that it's a very careful calibration not to take on too much in any one lifetime that mm. risks um, Sisyphus kind of thing. Mm. Um, the, the gradation, it's got to be an incline. You got to work up out of a pit that you unconsciously put yourself in with all that karma. You've got to kind of go up a ramp. But but the deal is that the gradient of that 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 ramp is 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 measured, you know, by 10 or 20 de decimal points. You want the maximum, the maximum possibility of success, but not so easy that you don't reach your goal. You have an A destiny, a B destiny, and a C destiny built in, where the A destiny is the steepest climb, a B is a little more gradual, and a C is, is, is a, a less, more gradual still, less, less steep. But so the A destiny that we all figure in has to be calibrated to just the right amount where you think you're going to die and you can't make it, but you do. If it's too steep, and sometimes you'll you'll go against, a person will go, a soul will say, your guys will say, okay, uh, uh, an 18.6 degree uh, uh, rise there on your gradient. Um, uh, that's, a, that's what you want to clear that and that and that and that this next life. But, you know, our, our, our reflection here is um, you, that's way too steep. You need a 16.1 instead of an 18.6. And sometimes it's a whole bluster and boister and go, no, 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 I want it, I want it all. And then they'll say, okay, come over here. And then they'll put, put on a little videotape of what will happen uh, <laughs> of all your choices on an 18.6. And then you go, oh, um, how about a 15.4 yeah. instead? You know, and so that's all calibrated ahead of time uh, as a negotiation where you get to choose how difficult your or easy your next life can be. Um, next one that I'm coming in on, I've got scheduled about 300 years from now, uh, is uh, one of far more reward, easy reward than the one this lifetime. Uh, I've earned that. and You've uh, already earned it. Yeah. And your life's yeah. not even over. Yeah, exactly. I still got 22 years by my count left mm -hmm. on the planet. So 
better that I don't think we can say a whole lot more about the vagaries and the complexities of karma and incarnation and how they interrelate. But um, listen to this podcast again if this speaks to you, because a lot of times listening at one a second time or a third time will real oh that now I get it um, because this is this is hard to digest because we don't have we have to create not only learn something new we have to create a new box in our mental body to take it in um, and so you have to open a new file that's different than just learning with the files you already have mm -hmm. um, so it's difficult okay so last thing soul species remember in our one of our first podcasts we talked about some of the things that really bedevil earth and what hampers our emoto spiritual growth one of them was holoarchy Another one was a different soul species. And the third one was the age of our, yeah. how many nations we've had. Without those three um, dynamics, we're going to be really misled on what human life is about. Mm. In other words, um, uh, in this case, we'll talk about soul species, not soul age, but they are related because a, one certain soul species person with 100 lifetimes um, and one with 250 lifetimes, same soul species, will have different takes on similar attribution of their expression into life, like our attributes we bring in. So um, in terms of soul species, uh, identity maps, and I, um, as I said in our last uh, Heart Farm meeting, um, that uh, uh, there was a, there's a, now a channeled entity on the planet, uh, which confirms the existence of soul species uh, and the number of them, as far as I understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the first time I ever got any um, any con confirmation uh, on this. But Identity offers that there's 27 different soul species, which interestingly, there's a certain physicist that says there are 27 dimensions in string theory. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and I found that really interesting. Uh, five souls, five angel soul species, eleven soul species that evolved um, out of the soul, the 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 five the um, uh, five uh, out of the, um, the the angel kingdom, angel domain, and then the devic form of each of those eleven soul species. That's twenty-seven total. Five, eleven, and eleven. And in that way, um, the devic version of each soul species is an aerated version. Um, let's say um, uh, one soul species is dressed in winter clothes as their soul species uh, metaphor. Uh, uh, the devic version of that is the same body, but with no clothes on. Uh -huh. It's a devic, more air, a devic, more aerated version to offset the density of this strict soul species um, uh, dynamic. And these, these, each of these soul species evolved out of the, the bottom, the most dense version of the angel species, uh, which are Michaelite, uh, the first um, um, least dense, then, then the, the primary, three primaries and two secondaries, uh, Michaelite, Gabrielite, and Luciferite. And in between, uh, the Raphaelite and Uriolites were um, evolved out of that those five lucify lights were the heaviest and so the fall the fall uh, that is uh, um, both metaphorized by the fall from eden and the fall of lucifer from grace are actually describing the same dynamic but wildly inaccurately uh, in other words the the eating of the apple and and uh, if you break it down lucifer thought his will 
was smarter than divine beings will. And in fact, uh, in point of fact, uh, the argument that started the whole thing going, uh, all the different soul species that evolved out of the angel kingdom, were all based on one simple uh, argument. Is divine being made of will and secondarily expresses that will through love? Or is divine being made of love and only secondarily expresses that love through will? This is the bifurcation that actually caused in one way, not 100% causal, the evolution of the soul species because when the Lucifile kingdom fell, it didn't fell because fall because it um, loose, there was a Lucifer in, the, in charge of it who thought his will was more right than God's and cast to hell. The casting into hell is actually a really brood, brutish kind of um, mass consciousness projection of the fall, which is actually a rise in another way, a fall into 11 different soul species based on density, all the way down to the Terran universe, which is the whole universe we live in. In other words, uh, the whole physical eyes of matter and energy and black energy or black um, uh, dark, dark matter. matter, dark energy, all four of those, that's our universe in the multiverse of uh, 26 other um, uh, universes in the multiverse that are able to be contacted uh, through intuition in uh, our third eye, if, which is another whole story. So we've got here, we, this is uh, called uh, the Terran universe um, in that system. And uh, Earth is called uh, in, in the, in the um, back in the um, divine world as um, Erath Logos. Um, and that is, here is a place where we go to learn the most difficult version of our lessons. In other words, the Terran universe and our specific one on planet Earth is the most dense universe of the multiverse. Every all the others are less dense, and that is more porous to divinity. To find divinity here in the most dense universe on this planet in this universe, if you can find divine being here, you can define it anywhere. Like the New York, the song of New York, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere. That's one of Joseph and I's favorite little um, entertainment. Uh, yeah, I rewrote the lyrics uh, instead of New York, New York, it's Aerith Logos. Oh, yes, I, I remember it there anywhere. Right. So, wait, so but I, I just I got a piece of this that I hadn't gotten before. The 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 falling of the uh, angels and the population of the uh, of this dense layer of universe was actually the will of the divine because it wanted to know itself. So. It's, it was not only a question among the angel souls of the, of the time, but because they're an aspect of the divine, it was a question for the divine itself. It wanted to get to know itself in this way, what its essence was. Well, that's, I would say that's 98% uh, accurate, but uh -huh. there is a little 2% little, uh, thing. My, I, I asked this question many years ago. And you, I, I completely forgot about this. Thank you. Uh -huh. This is great. Um, when I first saw the fall and all, all that it entailed in creating the soul species, um, I, wait, didn't you know already that you were love first and, uh -huh. um, and, and, and then moved your love through will? And said, well, of course, that's what we felt, but we wanted it confirmed. <laughs> so there's, there's, that, there's that other 2%. Uh -huh. 
Uh, so yeah, because yes, if they, there was a significant amount of divine being in the form of souls that had the question, then I guess it wasn't sure on one level. In in one way, it yeah. um, had its unfoldment. Uh, the the um, the leaders of the Lucifile kingdom that um, seeded each of these king, these uh, uh, other twenty six, all twenty seven of these, um, or yeah, all eleven of these soul species, uh, Luciferites were the were the 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 densest. And so we fell, density-wise, the, the the farthest into this most dense universe of the multiverse, right? So in that sense, um, the Luciferite uh, goal, it was upon given to the Luciferites to solve this question. Is divine being and therefore us what we're made of? Uh, are we love first and express it through will? Or are we will first? Well, this is... And what we come to Earth, and Earth doesn't take a rocket scientist. Earth is a world based on will first. And we try to retrofit love into the will-based will, or the will-based uh, vibe of the planetary consciousness. That's why we're in such turmoil, uh, why there's so much duplicity and greed and um, and uh, horrific genocides and more wars that killed more many, many more people in religious dynamic than ever was done in a humanistic way, a humanistic philosophy, right? So uh, we're a will-based world. So the Luciferites, the head of the Luciferites that fell the farthest, because they were the densest, um, fell to earth. They, the, 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 both the um, yin and yang version of, their, of the archangel of the Lucifer um, kingdom, both felt in their angel bones that it was love first, will second. Um, and so to come here, and all angels know this in one way or another, Gabrielites sometimes like to uh, um, argue it, but uh, they've learned over the eons and millennia that it's love first also. So when any angel from the five angel kingdoms incarnates in any one of these other 11 layers, including Earth's uh, uh, um, Terran universe, it's like, Go, uh, going into a uh, a chamber that has no oxygen in it. Hmm. Uh, angel consciousness have, uh, are the angels who incarnate as humans here have the hardest time, as we said in another podcast. Everybody wants to be, an, oh, am I an angel soul species? You don't want to be. If, if you are, uh, uh, hats off to you for incarnating on earth because this is the hardest place to find God there is because it's a will based world and so the right the level the the the, the the dynamic that's at play here is the soul species just just one soul species less dense is the Gephian world uh the Gephian universe and they are 100 percent the whole universe is will based and so they're a little um they're a little older souls than the Terran souls that are born here and so they tend to be Gephians who come here tend to rise to um, the, as cream of the crop because they're a little older and a little more around the block in incarnations. And they tend to become heads of state, um, entertainment, moguls, um, uh, uh, cops, TSA agents, uh, yes, judges, all, mm -hmm. all, all these anywhere you can have power for yeah. your will. Think of the power and the will of the will of a judge. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, or a president, or a Senate majority leader, yeah. or or the lack thereof of a 
of a crazy person um, who thinks dinosaurs, who's still in Congress and got reelected, who thinks dinosaurs and people coexisted. Who's that, so Marjorie the, Taylor Greene? Who's who are you talking yes, about? That, no. is, that is her. Um, <laughs> at any rate, uh, the idea here with the soul species, it, was a, it wasn't a fall from grace. Uh, it was a, a, a rise to solve this question, what is divine being, which as Joseph said, and, and I agree uh, mostly, it had interest in having that truth confirmed to them, even though they had a feeling about it. So in, in that way, it is an important point that's counterintuitive. We are distal versions of divine being vis-a-vis -vis the spark within us of the divine. In other words, think of uh, every, every person, if you look at their soul architecture, which you can learn to do, you can see an umbilicus, a soul umbilicus coming out the rear of fourth chakra and, and making a bend about uh, four feet or five feet away. For, it's kind of vertical, slight rise to it. And about four or five feet out, it, it curves upward and at a 45 degree angle uh, up and out. Those umbilicae connect all the way to divine being. So we're like those old um, uh, uh, deep dive uh, deep divers that had that oxygen thing uh, stuck to the top of the their helmet, helmet only, thing, yeah. giant helmet thing, only uh, that allows them to descend into water, which is way down at the bottom of the of the ocean bed, uh, without with still have breath. That umbilicus is our soul umbilicus that within which our conditioned human body self. A body mind self is uh, is is a precipitate of precipitate of precipitate of, and in that sense, when we betray ourselves, vis-a-vis -vis will first versus love first, um, we are we are literally in that way betraying our divine being also, and this is what's not really appreciated very much is that when you and soul. Uh, your mental body's physical, uh, mental body, emotional body, and, and will body, um, what, what happens is there is a common innate morality, morality that you start to live by that is very different than the morality that our, our milk paradigm likely uh, conditioned into us. In other words, when you finally ensoul your whole being to as much a degree as you can in any one lifetime, you bring with it the truth, the truth of love first and will second. And if you incarnate on planet Earth and are able to get those three ensoulments in one lifetime, which we call enheartment or Atma Burmesh, you have proven to yourself that it's love first and will second. Um, and by, by proving it to ourselves, it goes right back upstream uh -huh. through the umbilicus to divine being. Oh, we got another vote, you know? Uh -huh. You know, <laughs> you it see? just hit me a little bit ago that the this love versus will issue is the most meta incarnational, incarnational imperative that we all have. Yes. That actually all of our incarnational personal imperatives must roll up to that. Absolutely right. Great call. I never put those two together. Really, I didn't. You're exactly right. Uh, the will, ver the love versus will, informs every single um, bit of incarnational imperative there is, mm -hmm. because the system always wants to um, uh, express its essence. Mm -hmm. and if the essence is lo of lo is love, 
you express differently than if your essence is will and you express. Uh, this difference, and there's it's not just black and white, there's a lot of gray in between, which maybe we can talk about another podcast uh, on a different topic, but uh, it's basically polarized. Uh, a will-based life will yield a very different life outcome than a love-based life. Uh, that's easily intuited and, and realizable by most of us. Mm-hmm. So back to the soul species to complete that, we could spend um, five, at least five or six podcasts on the nature of each of these 11 soul species and their devic co- counterparts, yeah. um, as well as the angel soul, the five angel kingdoms, uh, uh, five, not the royal kingdoms, some of them are queendoms, uh, 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 but the Raphaelite and the, and the Uralites are quindoms uh, because they're the, the fifth. <laughs> They comprise the fifth, from three to five there, the angel kingdoms. So in that sense, um, it's less important uh, to give a characteristics at this moment. But what can happen, and this is where the rubber meets the road and we can complete to close here, is that knowing your soul species is a huge mirror to why and how you process reality the way you do. In other words, it supersedes compared to the noun of um, of your soul species, uh, uh, enneagram point, um, uh, 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 um, astrological uh, birth sign, gene key, or whatever human design. I always forget what human design is based on. All those categories are adjectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most primary way, and that this never changes. People ask this. Once you're created as a as a as an Andromedan soul species or a Gephian or uh, any of the other eleven, uh, nine or ten, you are that forever. We uh, those who are born angels, you don't you we can take human form, but we never become a human soul. The human soul is the youngest um, soul of all creation, and they're still learning uh, how to live. And it's helpful that they're in they're incarnated in a will based world because guess what will is what's needed to learn to survive Mm. but love is required to learn how to thrive so this is why two-thirds of the planet is made up of young terran souls who need will so they've created a will but a a will-based planet by majority so to speak and so for angels who are the oldest souls uh come here to to um Try to re- experience God like they did in the angel kingdoms, but now here, you know, sorry, I'm tapping on That's purpose okay. here. Yeah, here. Uh, um, is is a real chore to find love first on a will based world. Mm. So I highly recommend if you can, um, if you ever meet us um, or or ask ask for this, um, a, a soul read on what soul species you are. And Joseph um, is one of the premier um, uh, readers <laughs> of combining um, soul species, Enneagram point, and uh, the me spacer, we spacer, spacer thing. Type, yeah. We haven't talked about that too much in here. Uh, so identity offers those three soul species deepest, um, then um, Enneagram point, and um, um, spacer, type. spacer type yeah. those three factors determine how we process reality uh, literally yeah, process you, reality. one really you really want to know what those are for you or else uh, uh, yourself and other people will seem very confusing yes <laughs> it for, for those of us especially angel souls who are recognized as angel souls and um, reflected that they're angel souls uh, that it is like 
it is like uh, finally coming home that someone gets them. Mm. Um, I, one last thing here, in that sense, uh, since the soul, the soul species were unfolded to me, Joseph, I can tell you, has become an, such an expert in this that uh, I, he and I sometimes disagree, but rarely, because one of us will bring in an adjective of the Enneagram point or the, or the mm -hmm. spacer type, and that'll adjust what the three how they combine, but Joseph is a, our in-house, on-the-ground expert in this. I story. don't know. I'm not as good as I used to be, but something is well, changing, perhaps. Perhaps uh, that's <laughs> that's the self-realization, uh, but it might not be 100 percent true. Okay. So the bottom line is, uh, uh, speaking for myself, one of the things I learned early after um, getting my yes for the what my life is about now. Uh, I, I, I found myself realizing that I'm a fire spotter, that mm. uh, I, I'm like those rangers on the top of the hill with the binoculars in the tower looking for fires. Only what I've look, been looking for, what's come to me, is I spot angel souls. Mm. And I can, I can spot them. And that is what I thought at some point identity was mostly for angel souls, mostly. It's certainly not ready their Terran souls aren't ready for it that's okay they've got their own systems to help them angel souls don't have the psychology philosophy and spirituality that their particular soul species needs so identity is that primarily it serves less porous souls with with the emphasis on angel souls but just because you're not an angel soul doesn't mean identity can't serve you it can even serve um uh uh, uh, uh Terran souls in certain ways of learning how to grow through behavior as opposed to learning how to grow through internal uh, shedding and deconstruction. Mm -hmm. So it's got something for all soul species, but uh, those of you out there in podcast land, if you've ever felt um, alienated and no one ever has understood you or you find you're, you're feeling like you're a stranger in a strange land, which is, I would say, about 40% of the planet feel that. Um, yeah. stranger in a stranger land to some degree. Just because you feel like a stranger in a strange land doesn't mean you're an angel soul, but it means you're likely a less porous soul and you're For not sure. from you're not from here. And so to learn where you're from, we we have details of what your home soul species is like, where you go after you die. That's what happens. Before you're born, you dwell on your soul species. You choose your, in, your your incarnation on earth, you live it, then you die, and you don't go back to heaven. You go back to your own soul species, which is like heaven <laughs> compared mm -hmm. to a will-based planet. Where the climate Earth. suits your clothes. Yeah. <laughs> where the, whoa, what song is that from? Where the climate? Uh, going, to where, going, song. going down the road feeling bad. That's it, yes. I believe, oh. yeah. Oh which my the, God. I don't think the Grateful Dead wrote, but they covered it. It's a traditional, old traditional song, but I know it from yeah. the dead. Yeah, where the clothes, um, say it again. Where um, the climate suits my clothes. Yes, where the climate. Oh, no, it's also... Um, the, who is the guy who um, who sang in Midnight Cowboy? Uh, everyone's talking at me. I can hear the da da da. In that song is a line where the where my clothes uh, suit the climb or something. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, that yeah. Song too. So anyway, that's that's our sainthood chapter for today. That's all I've got for today. The juice I've got. So yeah. I hope I hope this um, inspired or spoke to some of you out there. Yeah. Well, thanks, Stace. This was a lot. And uh, we're going to go into couples next time. Yeah. Or do we have any more sainthood left? Uh, well, 
let's let's both cogitate. No, I okay. motivate. I motivate on that. Uh, motivate. Nice. Uh, let's let's do that. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.